Hey y'all, Sean here. Let me ask you something. What do you think is most likely to bring about the mass extinction of the human race? Something like asteroids or a solar flare or a nearby star going supernova or something more local like uh, climate change or nuclear war. Who knows, but we're going to try to hash that out today. Welcome to Candor Encounter. So it's been a while, guys. <laughs> a long time. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, quote unquote, a long time. Yeah. Uh, a month. and a, Well, a month and a half for us. You'll be hearing this later. Oh, yeah. I don't know our exact release date, but it's been a month and a half since we sat behind the mics. Yeah, a good while. We weren't really expecting to do seasons per se when we started Candor Encounter, but... We realized a few things that we want to change, and we ended up deciding a new season was probably the best way to do it. Yeah, especially because of the holidays, and we had to hash out whatever we were going to do different. Yeah, we did a lot of talking, trying to figure out what we wanted to change. And you've already heard a couple things, like the intro. Our format is also changing. Did we talk about that last season? I don't remember. I don't think so. I don't I think don't, we did. Yeah, I don't think so, because we didn't have any concrete. Yeah, we still had to flesh it out. Mm-hmm. So if you're a former listener of ours, you'll definitely see a shift in the way we are handling things, in the way that we're formatting things. And we're just going to push everything together in a way that might seem counterintuitive to what Candor Encounter was, which was a Candor episode and then a Counter episode. And we were afraid to leave that behind in a sense because it was sort of part of our identity. Yeah, It was one of the yeah. longest conversations we had Yeah, was deciding to change the format into what you'll see now as a Counter quote-unquote episode. Right, right. It's all going to be in one episode now yeah pretty much we're gonna sort of summarize what our candor episode was and then put in the counter episode all together and we're not going to record the other candor segment ahead of time it's all going to be done in in one sitting but it's just us taking the information that we stretched over two episodes and putting it into one episode because we feel like we were stepping all over things that we had already said and we we're just sort of right. rehashing things yeah. that weren't it wasn't in a productive way all the time and we didn't want to bore you guys and we don't want to make things lengthier than they need to be and and that kind of thing so we're gonna streamline this process streamline the show so that you guys can get more out of it in a shorter amount of time and hopefully that that's how this plays out so that's our idea here and we're hoping it goes that way <laughs> right and also, we were relying exclusively on user-submitted topics before, but now we're throwing our own in the mix. This first episode is my topic. We're still taking user submissions openly. Like, please give us anything that's on Absolutely. your mind. We think that there's a personal touch that comes with a topic that we might be passionate about or that we might have thought about on our own. And it might imbue us with a sense of personal involvement in each topic. And also in the beginning, we sort of thought there was an importance over not seeing the title ahead of time, not knowing the topic ahead of time. And I don't think that that really mattered as much as we thought. 
Yeah, we did it because we thought the spontaneity of knowing the topic would change how we reacted to it, uh, like our initial thoughts on it, and you would get the absolute truth of what we thought. Uh, and what we found out was that's just not the case. Yeah. It doesn't change our initial like thoughts and having to explain them to you because you're just going to hear the truth from us anyway. Right. Yeah, I don't think that... Um hearing that topic ahead of time really did anything for me as far as, you know, made me contemplate it over the week coming, you know, right. there's yeah. nothing, there's nothing that's going to really matter about knowing what's coming. And in fact, I think that it lets you examine what you're going to say, you know, about a specific topic, but it lets you formulate it in a way where a lot of times when you're on the spot, you can't seem to put those words together. And then you, we found out when we come back into the counter episode, I wanted to really say it this way. Cause this is how I felt. Right. You know? Yeah. yeah. And I, Every, I don't want that to get lost. Everything was a bit more discordant in the counter episode where we were trying to piece together thoughts within seconds or minutes. We may have taken a few minutes after seeing the topic to be like, gather your thoughts but it, it didn't change a whole lot of being able to put words to like you always know what you mean when you're saying it but it doesn't always come off as so understandable right and this new format mitigates that yeah i think it'll definitely help and i think earlier in the process especially with us being new and tackling difficult ideas i think that we did well but i think that we were really kind of struggling to think on our feet and I mean, that's just me being straight up about myself. You know, I mean, I, I feel like a lot of times, I mean, you guys don't hear the pregnant pauses and, <laughs> and, <laughs> right. and the sort of mental gears sometimes get locked up. But I think that ahead of time, it's not going to change the truthfulness. It's not going to change the integrity of what we say. It's just going to be a cleaner way to present it. Absolutely. So. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So as Sean stated earlier, our question today is what is most likely to bring about the mass extinction of the human race? I like this question. Yeah. Well, we all do. <laughs> in fact, we don't even have to leave this in, but when we were swapping topics for our first episode, David and I both submitted two yeah, two, two, of the, two of the same ones, but Armageddon was one we shared. Yeah, you guys were definitely on the same wavelength. <laughs> Uh, but the end of uh, all humans was definitely in the bag. Yeah. As one of our yes. first few topics. Yeah, it was. And interestingly enough, this is a, a topic that as brothers that we have previously discussed, we don't, I don't know how I was going to say that. We don't sit around the fireplace and talk about the end of the human race all the time. Right. But this is one of the few topics that we have actually gone over in some sense before yeah we had like a fascination with it for a short time well not super short because it's always kind of a fascinating topic but and not, not also specifically about the human extinction just existential events or threats and ironically enough we were all hooked on the same podcast <laughs> yeah yeah in this exact topic and and um it's i think one of the best out there I agree. It was sort of the podcast. It's called The End of the World by Josh Clark. Uh, it's a mini series, unfortunately, but it's sort of what turned me on to podcasts. It's really well produced and like super informative. 
And if you have the time, you should check it out. Definitely sure. so. It's one of my favorites. Did you, did you say unfortunately so? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they need endless episodes on human extinction. <laughs> well, That's I all just, I kept thinking when you said that. I was like, yeah, they just need to keep finding reasons uh, that humans will die. <laughs> well, I was surprised by the amount of possibilities. That's I mean, true. as slim as some of them are. Actually, if you go back and listen to our back catalog of episodes, you're going to find references that we may not have explicitly stated, like references to the great filter, references to uh, the, the simulation par- argument or the Fermi paradox. Fermi or the Fermi paradox. Yeah. There's all kinds of and I know a lot of you listeners probably already know what that stuff is. And we hashed them out a little bit in the past episodes. But this is where us three kind of learned those things or at least delve deeper into them yeah well it's one of those conversations that we've had we've probably had them a handful of times over the years where we sat down not officially but we were just like hanging out and then started talking and i think i recommended the podcast to you guys then you went and watched or listened to it Mm -hmm. and then came back and then we just like couldn't stop talking about it yeah and so it was just sort of a conversation piece for us and it was one of those moments in our past that is probably a foundation block for the podcast that we're in right oh, now. Absolutely. You know? I would say definitely true. So I think that it's kind of inspirational that you guys chose this. <laughs> it wasn't even because of the podcast that I listed it though, or because of the end of the world that I listed it for my topics. It had, I had watched a YouTube video about it mm-hmm. like a month or so ago. So it was just on my mind. Yeah. When I, so we, we all shared our topics in like reference for the first episode. And when we listed the same topic, we kind of did it similarly, but so I had put mass extinctions, right? Yeah. It was largely in reference to humans, but there were also three or four other mass extinctions before ours. I think I didn't want to get too far off topic, but I think this is number, they consider us to be in number six because so many species are dying right now. Right. I didn't really look into all what might have been considered extinction events in the past or existential threats in the past, but it's apparently like kind of debated. Like five is the accepted number. Like of current mass extinction events. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like okay. there's been five huge ones in the past that no one disputes, but it goes up to like 20 or something. Oh, oh really? I, I didn't go through all of that. I didn't go through it either. I, I went just, through the highlights of the past mass extinction yeah, events. Yeah. And really, I mean, most of what I looked at this time focused on the future. I mean, me too, right? That's mm-hmm. why I didn't go That's so strange. much into the past. Because when I did the research, I think at the very beginning, I ran into... Uh, a philosopher who does a philosophy on existential threats and he does i don't remember if it was a paper or what but he he did this piece talking about existential threats and specifically how threatened is humankind by these existential threats and one of them there were two philosophers but the one i'm talking about the probability doesn't change on what we've seen in the past yeah to what can happen to us in the future. That's almost like a gambler's fallacy kind of thing. Just because these this is what has happened, it doesn't mean like he mentioned something about 
how the proton possibly has this degradation state that we might not know about and how if protons have this degradation state and they all degrade very quickly at around the same time, that's just kind of it. And we wouldn't know when that would happen. I encountered the, the life of the, the proton in my research as well. But I think that I, I can't remember the exact age or what they expected it to be, but it was like somewhere around the age of the universe. I mean, not the age of the universe, but like near the cold death of the universe. Mm. Oh yeah. The heat death or heat death. That's right. Yeah. Around the heat death of the universe, which is like when the universe eventually becomes homeo. What is that? Uh, the, it's like homeostasis for humans. Yeah, yeah, when it's like an even temperature across the mm, entire right. universe. It's and when every every star is burned out and broken down and every Yeah. Yeah, it's just when um if there is no energy left to dissipate, it's all evenly distributed across the Right. I was gonna right. say yeah, yeah. I don't think I know y'all don't, but I hope none of you at home think that black holes are cold. Because they are not. And it, it's going to take a long time for them to die. Yes. But eventually they won't have the fuel. No. And they, they eat themselves up. Yeah. And eventually they'll implode, I guess. Do they? I don't know really anything about black do, holes. Do they what? Eat themselves? Well, when they can no longer accelerate <clears throat> due to mass, you know. Oh. they Because they, I mean, they, they spew mass as well. They, eventually they yeah, will. They spew something called... Well, they spew energy. Hawking radiation yeah. is what it's called. And eventually they will dissipate all of it. I mean, it will be a long, long yeah. time. And humans will almost assuredly be already gone. If you kind of want an idea of the heat of the, of the universe, which I guess technically is like a human extinction thing, if we somehow survive that long. It, it technically is. I mean, if you say that, you know, we have found a way to harness energy yeah, I mean, and survive. to its nth degree. Yeah, yeah, but and um, we're riding this thing out till the end. <laughs> Did sorry, I'm gonna let you finish your point. There's a YouTube video called like the Lifetime of the Universe or like Life of the Universe or something, and it's like I can't remember the length, but like two thirds of it is not the heat death of the universe, and then the last third is like the heat death of the universe. And just how long it takes for black holes to disappear and you know stars to blink out. Yeah, it's, but it would like if humans time. were alive, they would just be in an ultimate chase for energy. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, if we had some way to travel light years in that way, it would just be us darting. Because, you know, have you heard about the way theoretically they could harness energy from the, a certain distance from black holes? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so as it accelerates the mass around it and that energy can be, can be yeah. taken, but it would just be like us darting from black, from hole, black, to hole, black hole. Yeah. Like energy hopping until we eventually burned out, you know, there was just nothing left. So anyway, we jumped to the finish <laughs> line here at the end of the human right. race. <laughs> well, so we'll, we'll work our way back. So there are much more immediate threats. Um, a ton more. Yeah. Yeah. There are a lot more, the closer you get to present day, the much <laughs> The, the list grows and grows. Yeah. And the likeliness, it grows. I was reading this book called The Precipice, Existential Risk and the Future of hum- Humanity. And that's sort of the whole point. It's the point that we are at this edge. And I'm not typically a like doomsayer. 
Yeah. And Armageddon, I, I just don't, I don't think that we're knocking on the door of it, but the way he portrays it is we're at a, a point where a decision has to be made to work together. Right. It's not that like we can solve every one of the problems that face humanity. And a lot of people tend to feel comfortable in the way that we live, right? We don't have, we don't have the threat of the asteroid being 10 days away. It's not, we don't live in that kind of thought. Another crazy thing that crept up in my head was that like, the human mind's time frame compared to the existential threats, it's so small. Like a hundred years, you could maybe see two or three like wars, say. Uh max. Yeah, I was about that, to say that's the max, yeah. So for us to be like that's I think that's why most humans consider like nuclear destruction to be the most threatening yeah it's sort of the one that's in your face right you know but then you get on to ones that are like climate change or the singularity and those those are things that are we're talking like a couple hundred years at least mm-hmm. so two or three generations so the human mind is just kind of like it'll might happen eventually but it's not a threat the more distant in time that they are the less we emotionally have to deal with them right. we feel we feel like you know this the book I mentioned a minute ago by Toby Ord. It was um he makes a good point in it and he says we have to realize our failings as human beings. And one of those failings is the more physically, geographically distant we are from or relationship wise, another human being who is presently alive on earth, the less we emotionally connect to their plight. And that's just a natural human response, Mm -hmm. right? We know there are people in Africa who subsist on almost nothing and go through terrible starvation or suffering or whatever, right? And we know that intellectually, but we don't know that emotionally. That's a different knowing. But it doesn't mean that their life means any less, right? That, That is not a clear indicator of what they're worth just because you don't know them or can't connect to them. So we agree that their life is worth as much as ours. It works that way over time as well. And so it's very easy to not remember those in the future who might be connected to mistakes that we make today. It's very easy to emotionally disconnect from those people who might suffer because we didn't prepare for something that we could have today. That's a good point. That was, it's not a point I thought to brought up, but I saw it while researching and I just forgotten about it. I think that it's a good way to connect the dots for me because I do have an immediacy in my thought process. I really don't have a long range thought process. I mean, being like honest with myself, I don't, I generally think in the immediate or in the near future or in the lifetime span, probably maybe the lifetime of my children that's sort of about how far my thought process carries me in a normal way. I don't really push past that other than in theoretical thinking, you know, in abstracts. But that doesn't abstracts don't really connect you emotionally to decisions that you're making today. And so whether it comes to 
you know, climate change or whether it comes to preparations that we can make for other um, existential risks. It usually, I, I, you feel helpless. You feel like there's not really much you can do as an individual, right? Yeah. right? Because That's, this is yeah. such a bigger problem. You're sitting here like, what's a one in seven million going to do or seven billion going to do? It, he actually tackles that point as well. And I really, I wish you guys could hear his books. Very good book. I'm just going to say that. I haven't even been able to finish the entire book. I'll be upfront about that. But I just, from what I have read, it is really poignant in the way he connects you to your own responsibility and how much difference you can make. So he, he cuts his numbers down. He even says, okay, so say sometime in the future, there is a drastic limiting event to the number of humans that can survive. And so say that we are down to a billion people and say we're down to a billion people for, and I did not memorize this, so I'm not going to get it right. But he says, say we're down to a billion people for so many length of time. I can't remember the amount of years, but it was just like so many millions of years, but like not, not, we don't make it to the death of the universe. You know what I'm saying? Like right, we just, right. we just, we live for a good while as humans, the typical, you know, lifespan of a species, but like we continually keep a billion people alive. And that's like, shortcutting us six billion right, right? right. Mm-hmm. saying we can't pull this off at our current state so he's sort of giving us a handicap to say take these low numbers all right but if you keep humans if you make a step to prevent an existential threat from destroying our planet say you only you are only a a millionth of a percent because of based on the population you're you can only affect it a little bit well a millionth of a percent of a billion people over time is you're you're gonna you're effectively responsible for if you gave a millionth of a percent increase to averting existential risk averting human extinction if you increase it a millionth percent you save so many millions of people hmm. over time in I the see. future. Right. Yeah. Right. So if your millionth percent is multiplied in the future, just like generationally it would be, and you can, uh, you know, you can count those over time into your favor, into your percentage. If you put forth the effort, even if you only increase or reduce the risk of existential threat by a millionth of a percent. And I liked that. I liked that dot connected for me because I went, okay, even if I can do almost nothing, almost nothing is not nothing. Right. Even if you say I'm putting out this podcast and I can say how I feel and maybe somebody else will hear it. Maybe that's my millionth. I don't know. That's how I looked at it. Yeah. So anyway, that's, that's my emotional connection. (laughs) We can move on to some, some harder topic, topical risks that we run into. Uh, so another one, actually, this kind of guess kind of works into that. Have you guys seen the birth rate stuff? Oh, about population, about overpopulation being oh. one of the risks. So I don't know if you, I mean, we have been having a lot of children. However, it is almost every country in the world is at a deficit and has been for about 40 years. I think that the only ones that aren't are under the poverty level. Yes. I and think. it's, uh, 
Niger. I can't remember. I know I'm going to mess this up. So, but I remember Niger specifically, and they're the only one that has gained, and they have only gained 0.09 percent. What isn't it? It's just basically this has all happened when capitalism spread throughout the world, right? So I've seen, I've heard this link before about. I didn't actually read up on this part. You you brought this up, but I had heard about the link between capitalism and or free trade and. As the poverty levels rise, the birth rate falls. Yes. And so the lowest reproducing countries in the world are the richest reproducing, are the richest in capital. U.S. has only started gaining their deficit recently. And they went from about negative 2% to, I think we're at like negative 1% Mm -hmm. annually. Birth rates are lost per year. And I don't remember the numbers specifically, but I remember seeing that being like, what I thought overpopulation was good. I yeah. mean, we're still well, like, yeah, back gaining. in the 60s, I mean, the, the data wasn't all yeah. really there, and they really thought that because our birth rate had, I mean, not our birth rate, because population had skyrocketed. Yes, you know, yeah, it, yeah. if you'd ever seen that graph, you've seen that hockey it's stick, crazy. and we're just like straight up on the rise. But then they realized that uh, most of that is due to medical care and industrialization yeah. and all yeah. of that stuff. And but after we reached a certain level, you know, I know just personally, you know, once you have a few kids and you have a working family and everybody is busy, it changes the game completely. And a lot of underdeveloped nations, they have higher infant mortality. And so they have more births to. uh, Yeah, Niger's like children to women ratio was roughly like six to seven children per mother. Mm-hmm. for like the last two years wow and there are local anomalies that oh are yeah like, obviously like i would i'm assuming i'm not even looking up statistics but i'm assuming like amish or catholic populations or whatever like they probably have a little bit higher than others but like overall when you look at the you know national averages they t- they tend oh, yeah. to drop and there are a few countries that obviously like bring up or down the statistic by some amount like Israel was up there in the birth rates last year specifically. Mm-hmm. Well, so overpopulation for the entire or the population for the entire planet. Are we at a deficit? So the world as a whole, as far as the UN, I'll say that because who knows, but as far as the UN has tracked or published i should say uh the entire world is currently at a deficit we aren't bearing less people that than are dying but we are birthing less people one percent than the last year than previous yeah Mm, yeah okay so in trend wise yes it is going down the growth pattern is dropping yeah so i i think that so we are technically still bearing many more people than are dying but we are losing one, like it was like, I'm not going to try a number because I can't remember. But it. they're seeing mm-hmm. the deficit grow. That's what they're saying. Mm-hmm. Like yes. as more, as more countries begin to birth less children, it, it's a trend that is reversing itself in some way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's not, I don't think this is um, a topic that's gone from debate. It's still hotly debated. But it's my personal opinion. I don't think that overpopulation would be a 
catastrophic event for the human race in itself. I mean, I think it tied with, yeah, I think like something happens. Yeah. So, I mean, if you have, if you, if you think climate change is part of it, if you think food scarcity is part of it, yeah, you know, whatever, whatever you think is going to be the end of the human race, uh, it's going to be tied to, it can be accelerated by an yeah. overpopulated planet. And so if you think we're headed in that direction, then you can think that the current population could push it faster. Have you heard of something called the, I don't know if it's like a theory. Well, I guess it's a theory. It's any issues or problems humanity would, humanity would face that affects it as a whole are taken to this one thing or entity or person called a singleton. And, you know, they make the final decision for whatever all-encompassing problem is brought to them. And they make the decision for, you know, like the entire world. And they're able to override, you know, whatever government or or power they see fit if if it means betterment for humanity. Okay. I haven't heard this theory. It's interesting, though. I think that's definitely worth talking about. Because, yeah, it was interesting to me, too, because when you think of cooperation, you think of, like, New World Order type single government deal. Or that's what I think of, at least. Is this well Singleton a position? I think it it's not necessarily Or is it you take position? it to a person on the street? Well, because like, it's theoretical, I don't think that... The, they have the detail hammered out. It doesn't sound like it's right, more exactly. of a... It was very loosely described. Right. Like, I was under the impression it could even be, like, an AI or something. Mm -hmm. I think that... Singularity is also... Yeah, and that, that comes in there, too. Yeah, yeah we, have, yeah, we, we haven't, haven't even gotten on, to AI yet. We haven't yet. even touched on singularity yeah. yet. So, I don't know. My opinion on say a singleton, for example, having an ultimate authority over issues that govern all of humanity is you can't have all these separate governments. Okay. Well, let me start with enforcement. So first of all, say you have someone to make a decision. People can't make decisions without authority and you can't make, you don't have authority without enforcement. Right. And so you can't have yeah, someone. You can't say this singleton has made this decision. Well, yeah, no. Are they going to follow it or not? All, like all of it, it all it is at that point is in a think tank, and you can take its advice or leave it. Yeah, it's advice if it's not enforcement. Right. It would have to be like, but if you combine all of the governments to be subservient to one entity, you have a new world order. Right, but the thing is, they wouldn't have to bring every issue into the simultaneous the, decision on humanity's part and only on decisions that affect humanity or, mm -hmm. or, or it steps in when, but unless you consolidate power, you have no enforcement power. Cause if someone I mean, steps out yeah. of line, they don't have to obey you or obey the other well, countries. I, guess it's, I mean, that's kind of similar. I mean, you can, the UN unless yeah, you use it as can, sort of a treaty yeah. type enforcement. That's the only way I could see it. Yeah. But even that isn't perfect. As right. We've seen. I wanted to bring up a point because it ties a little bit into this sort of um, the simpleton idea. No, it, but but the unified uh, I said government simpleton. idea. Singleton, I mean, the simpleton. 
You simple. <laughs> Another point that came out of the book by Toby Ord, The Precipice, was really you use the word extinction in your title, but he expands on existential risk a little bit to humans where the future of humanity is, is halted or reduced to the point where there's um, no recovery. There is no recovery. And so the point is that maybe not every single human died on the planet, but the humans will never have modern medicine or never have, you know, like it was just pushed to the point where like you can't recover. Yeah. And the progress of humans have stalled and we will never reach the point of the advancement of humanity. And one of those points is a totalitarian state the world over. And I hadn't thought of this, but it actually makes some sense. And, and again, it is not extinction, but I thought the way that we have conversations, it would be probably something that would be worth bringing up. I ran into this too. So I, I think that if you have, if you have a dictatorial totalitarian state the world over and all elements all modern technology is brought to bear down on the dissidents and they, there is no unifying. There's no communicating. There's no rising up. There's no way to put arms up against them. All of humans eternity's future is going to be consolidated from here on out. And there is no freedom and there is no growth and there is no commerce. And it's all controlled. That's really crazy because of the, um, so any dystopian media mm. that you see is almost always something similar. That's true. Where it's yeah, it's very 1984, right? I don't know what's a few. Dauntless was one. What was that? Where's Monday or what is it? Have you ever seen that one? I don't think so. Or Where's Wednesday? Or where's oh, on, oh, I know what you're talking about. I you want to about? see that. Oh, it's one. good. You should watch it, man. It's very yeah, good. It's very good. Uh, it's the Seven Sisters. They have like. The uh, names of the weekdays. Yeah. yeah, they're each named after a weekday. I forgot about that. But it's a yeah, really good. So you um, haven't watched it? I have not. The Priest, I think, is the name of the movie. I haven't seen that one. Uh, Matrix. Matrix. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's more like simulation argument. Uh, well, I, I guess. I mean. Well, it's both in and out. I mean, so like imagine I mean, out of the Matrix. Yeah. 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 It's majorly halted. Like. There. Oh, I don't know. Oh, if it, right, right. Yeah. 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 Is that because the I, the the machines? It's yeah. It's not exactly it's more AI. AI. It's all of them. Yeah. It's all air. of it. <laughs> yeah. Right. It was like, whoa! I just never realized that. It is. Wait. It? Yeah. That's why it's so good. Yeah. They're like, what is the worst things that could ever happen to you, man? All of all them. Of <laughs> Let's make a movie. Everything but the asteroid. Yeah. But I don't know if you have seen it. The priest, like there, it's yeah, it's vampire, the vampire hunter. Yeah. I think I don't. I can't. I can't think of a single dystopian media. Yeah. Uh. I mean, Fallout isn't necessarily. I mean, it is in some areas, but. But that's what we're talking about. Yeah. Like with the future of the human race, you know, that's what we're saying. Like if you, if you do put a chokehold on humanity through an oppressive government that's yeah. worldwide and inescapable. Yeah. There. Well, yeah. I guess that's a. That's a. There is a, per, a perpetuity in that. There is no coming out of that. Yeah. You know, once they have the ability to control and survey and and 
isolate and you know yeah. all of the technology is there to do it now oh. so anyway i thought that was an interesting vein in in the thought process of of existential risk to humans even though it may not be extinction i think that it is definitely not a future that we would want yeah you know as far as human progress would go for non-extinction existential threats or events i came the only one i heard about actually was like and it was in a passing example but where there was a existential event that wiped out you know say most of humanity and you know what's left isn't able to recover from like an evolutionary standpoint like maybe the ones that were left weren't capable of solving like really complex problems so there wasn't as much innovation and they're never never able to recover in that way yeah maybe there's not enough time left before their next threat or whatever yeah yeah and right i forgot about the last part of the argument was another threat comes on before they're able to recover and just wipes them out yeah because we have a certain level of preparedness for threats today that we didn't have 100 years ago 200 300 years ago and if we are set back far enough we can be taken out by another one of those threats i was asking you what you thought when we were talking about bioweapons yeah, like, you know, okay. a weapon I was just, made for yeah. war. And it, war. it doesn't even have to be made, like, it doesn't even have to be intentionally deployed. Right. Okay, yeah, also you know, true. Also true. There can be, like, some outbreak. It's fairly from, easy for that type of, you know, a pathogen of some kind to to exit the test facility or whatever, some ac- kind of accidental release or whatever. Yeah, especially if they don't, there's no early symptoms. And, you know, we have a pretty good likelihood to survive whatever comes our way naturally. I mean, eventually. I'm not saying that millions upon millions of people won't die. Maybe even billions. But, like, the ability for humans to bounce back against natural pathogens seems to be, you know, pretty. we're pretty well balanced as far as the future is concerned. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. And, I mean, that's sort of where I fall on this issue issue is to why I don't feel like it's a huge threat. It's one of the lesser ones in my opinion, because unless we're manufacturing something to take out other humans, I don't see how an outbreak of a man-made virus could wipe out humanity. It seems. Well, that's exactly the key is like a natural one. It doesn't, pose as much of a danger but like when we're putting additional abilities into pathogens that already exist and we're multiplying their you know ability to replicate or damage the human genome in some way or whatever there is you know there are bad actors out there and it doesn't take near the amount of energy or resources or or know-how to to get to the end of a, a nuclear project, you know, in comparison to like a, a pathogen, it doesn't take that much. It doesn't take a rocket scientist. It doesn't take, I mean, it does take scientists. Don't get me wrong, but like, it doesn't take yeah, compared, enriched uranium yeah, yeah. and, you know, centrifuge facilities. <laughs> like it takes uh, a lab in a building nondescript in whatever country you want to say you're in. It's, 
Yeah, I mean, it. Do, yeah, so it doesn't take, you know, nuclear facilities to create weapons that can destroy humanity. And I, I mean, I know that the risks are uh, to to erase an entire population on Earth. You know, that would take an enormous. Yeah, it's an enormous undertaking for any disease whatsoever, for any pathogen. Whatsoever. And it's not like there aren't reactions that humans don't have like i mean obviously with covid19 there was a ton of restrictions mm-hmm. uh but imagine if something had a ha- much higher fatal like fatality. percentage yeah, yeah fatality yeah. percentage yeah i mean it depends so, like, on a lot of things yeah i had seen i had seen i saw one this isn't really man-made though i mean it could potentially be caused by man but for the outbreak event, a risky one that I saw brought up was the bird flu. And if it gains the ability to transfer between birds and humans, humans, then it would be like very <laughs> risky. Yeah, you know? but the avian, the bird flu has to go through some other medium to get to us, right? Yeah, as I understand, because there are we've had bird flus reach humans, but they have mutated in ways through other animals before they reached us. I think I, I may be totally wrong. I, I don't wrong. know. I I just know that we can't directly get it. Yeah, it was just one it, thing I was thinking about. I actually didn't facts. read this, but um, one thing I was thinking about was obviously there are going to be unreached places on the planet. So like there are going to be islands that don't get whatever, but any major travel areas, any all major continents would be infected by what, if there was some kind of highly transmissible agent, but there would be remote places that would be isolated from Mm -hmm. the damage. Right. But it, again, it leaves us in a, in a scenario where human beings being able to recover from can't that. yeah we're, yeah we're yeah. stifled in the chance of recovery is yeah slim. right yeah civil civilization is still over you know at that point so i think that would still count as extinction as far as hypotheticals would yeah, go you know i agree and but one thing i did think of was like if if there were a particular pathogen or bioweapon or or even natural whatever like if there was something that destroyed or damaged the reproductive capability that was highly transmissible then it would be like the worst end to oh, humanity yeah. ever yeah just the right it would be like we could watch death civilization yep. die and that's just terrifying and there was another threat that i've saw brought up a couple times though it's a very minimal mm, yeah gamma ray bursts yeah from like supernova stars and stuff some people think that we've been hit by gamma ray bursts once in the past i can't remember the years now gamma ray bursts are sort of like cosmic sniper rifles right like we have to be well not like we have to be in the path yes yeah they aren't they aren't (laughs) <laughs> like yeah it's they're when, an atom bomb right they don't cover yeah like a, a city's worth well i mean they specifically cover the earth's worth but they don't in the scale of the universe mm-hmm. they they 
don't target. Right, right. they like, can miss fairly easily. Yes. When yeah. I think it's when a star is supernovaing, a particularly big yeah. star, instead of exploding all of its energy outward, it explodes it into two separate beings. Yes. Like highly concentrated yeah. radiation. And they're like jetted out. And unless you've done like a lot of preparation and got your civilization off yeah. planet and and moved somewhere safer, like, there's no... If you, we, you would if have we, had a, already had to establish civilization somewhere else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If, if we knew somehow that one was coming right now, there'd be no chance. Which is what's so interesting about like Elon Musk listening to him. It's so fascinating because he's just like, we know that the earth is going to die. And like we, yeah, not being here has to be a priority for somebody. And I mean, it may not be for everybody else, but like, I'm going to do what I can. Yeah, hu- humans won't survive on this planet forever. No. Yeah. It's one of those things like if you don't put all your hands in the same coop, you yeah. will, you right. will lose them all. Yeah. Right. And I I it's a good sentiment. I mean, it's it's not we're not close to it. Like we're not knocking at the door of planting mm, yeah. a civilization somewhere in the remote universe. I mean, Mars is still fairly close as far as like cosmic benchmarks. Yeah, I mean <laughs> As far as, I mean, I don't know that a gamma ray burst would hit both. I don't know. I can't tell you that. But but I think that it's, he also knows that it's a stepping stone, I think. Yeah. Like, I I don't know what the future would hold. That's just too far for me. But I think that he just is playing the cards that he's got. One, One step at a time and Mars is that one. So a lot of things we've touched on today are the man made threats. Mm-hmm. We've touched on the heat death of the universe, but that's good. Yeah, that's, that's out there. That was quite abstract. So yeah, the uh, the natural existential threats. I want to talk about some of those. Yeah, well, and they're also the ones that we should probably be thinking about. They're closer, and they're more manageable, right? Mm-hmm. Because we are responsible for yeah. them. I think they're man made, like you yeah. said. Then we can have a direct relationship with fixing them. What do you all think? So you got to break this down for me because I didn't actually hit the singularity point, at least not in what I was reading. So is the singularity AI based? What is this? Tell Uh, me about the singularity singularity specifically is where a point where technology starts upgrading itself and making self decisions to where we cannot control it anymore. AI is usually the stepping stone. I mean, I could see that correlation. That makes sense. But it could be like, uh, I've heard nanomachines brought up. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. But the reason it's such a, like, topic is because, like, there's no way to know. If you you design an AI and it is fully self-aware and able to make decisions and affect other machines with itself what it would do like yeah there's no way to be able to like it's like me trying to figure out what you would do if this happened like i know you as my brother but if you were a stranger this seems like a super important point to me and one that like maybe 10 years ago we would have been having a sort of sci-fi fanciful conversation about but that now is ai has grown so much so fast and now they're, I mean, they're using supercomputers with them. And it's like, it's time to have that conversation. Like, right. It's, 
you can't wait until the point where computers are powerful enough. You have to have that conversation before you reach the point, you know, where AI is, is you have to have that conversation at the point where it's still controllable because you're moving forward. And I also think this is an arena where bad actors can come into play. Like it might be okay. in these, these hands. Oh yes. Right. But we have a world full of people that we can't predict. And so is it even going to be safe? You know, you might develop something with safeguards, but it can be there was hijacked. A, a it can be repurposed. It can be whatever. But this seems like such a simple answer. But couldn't I mean, you're programming it directly. Can't you just? Well, I think a weaponized soldier is one thing, but when you <clears> have an AI that like that can assume control over manufacturing. But couldn't you align it with and human replication values? and that kind of thing? Well, mm. so the problem is you give it human values, right? Somehow. Let's just say you can. As soon as you do. Well, when, when we say human values, we'll assume like the preservation of life of humans. humans that would be right? the safest thing to do. So, But if you're weaponizing it, you can't have it protect all humans. Right. So we, we'll say uh, you... Actually, the, a really easy way to understand it for us would be like chaotic good, right? Uh, if you don't know, it's alignments in tabletop RPGs usually. Uh, chaotic good is usually sacrifice the little for the many. Mm-hmm. So, Like a purely numbers game. Right. Yeah. So when you see something like that and you're saying this war, if continuing, costs millions of lives yeah. of innocence, even if it's just innocence, say. And it doesn't care about soldiers one side or the other. Mm-hmm. If ending the war now means dropping one nuke to sacrifice all the leaders of one side or the other to stop the war, is that better? Well, from I, a numbers game, it yes. is yes. Maybe that wouldn't be that bad. <laughs> I don't know. But it's, I mean, it's that sort of moral choice that, but yeah, you know, I, you leave it into the hands that's the argument that's made about, uh, you know, Hiroshima and Nagasaki. It's like, you know, America killed a lot of Japanese civilians, like people that were just going to work, you know, they just happened to be born in Japan. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, six days later, world war two ended, right. Which saved, millions of American lives, but it saved enlisted soldiers lives, which had signed up to fight in a war. Right. And it, and it sacrificed the lives of Wor- workers and of just people, right. Normal mm-hmm. Japanese civilians. And it was a calculated decision. It was a decision. They were fairly certain within the war, but they didn't know. And so they had to choose morally whether to sacrifice civilians to end the war Mm. or not and so the if you're saying well do you leave that you know can you leave that question up up to a machine to solve you know because it's gonna if it gets out of control it's gonna be even stronger than that and you brought up nanobots sean which is an interesting 
uh, theory as well. Cause I think that, I mean, you know, they've been working on molecular machines to be able to <clears throat> fix a lot of conditions, yeah. you know, and repair. And I mean, and, currently the smallest computer is like thinner than your fingernail. Right. Really? Oh yeah. And, and <clears throat> nanobots are specifically designed, you know, but the, have you ever heard of the, what is it, the gray goo? The gray goo. Yeah. Yeah. The gray goo theory or whatever, where these are self-replicating nanobots, right? So they can turn other materials, carbon-based materials, I think. Uh, I mean, if they're small enough, anything, they yeah. can turn anything into anything. Right. But I mean, specifically dealing with the way they consume humans. Oh. But like, so they would turn car- any carbon-based compound or element or whatever into... You know, a gray goo. Yeah, energy for more nanobots. Yeah, energy for more nanobots. That's right. And so it helps them replicate. And so if if started, that chain reaction would be near unstoppable. Yeah. Right? That's a that's a true threat. And so one you know, once one nanobot entered your body, then your whole body would eventually be consumed and turned into this gray goo by nanobots who would perpetuate into the next even if it human, so. even if it was controlled, we're we're still talking about like that's that's just another arms race that's going to happen, right? I, I I don't know. I don't I don't know enough about oh, yeah. that topic to to go any farther than that. But I do find it fascinating that it, it's sort of a thought experiment. That one is really yeah yeah. It mostly is because that's sort of a. I mean, we don't know what is yet doable on the nanoscale in terms of replication and processes. Yeah. This is a new field that even by today's standards. Yeah. Are, yeah. We're, we're pretty far behind in. So at least I think so. I, I don't, I haven't seen any like significant science behind it. So yeah, no, no. You know, the guy who proposed or, and popularized the like gray goo theory mm-hmm has since denounced what he said about it in the past because he didn't like how it impacted like the R&D for nanobots and like you know he wanted to see more innovation <laughs> in the field yeah <clears throat> and he was like and, whoops and, and, yeah after he dropped that you know like people started like defunding oh and, like, my goodness yeah <laughs> i didn't know all that happened but that's not surprising yeah he said it and he, he was like surely this is going to Produce more nanobots. Well, I mean, I'm usually those. Sure. <laughs> he he was like a researcher uh, in the field. researching nanomachines yeah. specifically, and he, was, he had wrote this paper. But uh, it was like a thought experiment. It was like yeah. this. Yeah. This is something that could happen, and we need to avoid. And that everybody was like, "All right, we'll stop." Yeah, I mean, he wanted to outline <laughs> risks, of course, right? Yeah, but that was about it. Yeah, it just. But that is an unusual <laughs> human reaction because most of the time we don't check up, like no, AI yeah. or or whatever. You know, like our R and D does not slow down. Like we're <laughs> Yeah, if somebody said know. nanobots, most people would be like, Nanobots? Yeah. Let's go. Yeah, when somebody was like, Listen, we can chain we can cause chain reactions to happen in in nuclear materials. And some mm-hmm. dude was like, Let's blow it up. <laughs> you know what's crazy? You know when they went to blow it up, they weren't a hundred percent sure the entire planet wouldn't get destroyed. That's yeah. exactly yeah, what yeah. I was fixing to say. And I, they did it anyway. <laughs> Well, I mean, they had done the calculations, and they were pretty sure. Just so everyone is aware, they 
they were pretty sure. We're talking like 98, 99% yeah. sure. Uh, but they weren't entirely sure <laughs> that it wouldn't set the world's atmosphere ablaze. Yeah. yeah. I read and suffocate every human on Earth. I just think it's so fascinating yeah. that they were like, "Yeah, we're gonna try it." I read uh, one account of the guy of one guy who was there when the first, you know, the Trinity bomb dropped, and he said for like the first few seconds after the detonation, he was pretty sure our atmosphere was. <laughs> <laughs> But thank God it wasn't. <laughs> you know the one of the designers for the bomb. He's famously quoted as saying, "I am become death." Yeah. Do you know where that phrase comes from? Oppenheimer is his name. Yeah. Mm. Do you know where that phrase comes from? It comes from uh, Hindu mythology. The god of death. She is quoted as saying, "I am become death," and the quote is much longer than that. But he he, he borrowed he, from. Yeah, he said that specific part of it. Uh. But if if you can find the rest of the phrase, do so because it is it's so much more grand than just huh, isn't it like death. I am become death, destroyer of worlds, and something else. Yeah. I, anyway, it's been a while. Sorry. But anyway, the it's so much more significant than yeah. just yeah, I yeah. am become death because that just sounds he like was I al- have killed something. He was alluding to. Yeah. He was saying right. like this makes us a god of destruction. And yeah. Yeah. And nuclear war is that ever-present threat of annihilation to human beings. You know, we can't go through this whole human extinction exercise here and ignore the fact that there are thousands of nuclear weapons sitting in silos all over the world pointed at other countries. You know, we have this mess going on in the Ukraine right now. Yeah. And Russia is, like, really calling people's bluffs right now. You know, it just highlights the ever looming threat that yeah. was uh, very present during the nineteen seventies mm-hmm. uh, and sixties and eighties before the Berlin Wall came down. That it was just two countries with revolvers to each other's yeah. heads, and there are not in a, there are the collateral damage with n- nuclear weapons is. And it's not something yeah, that's like a one and done. Yeah. It's uh, that thing takes years and years. And it's also not something that ends with one nuclear strike. No, yeah, never. Right. right? So, I mean, if if an, if a Russian the only reason nuclear it, strike lands on American soil, we dropping one on them for sure. We're not dropping one. <laughs> oh, yeah. We're not dropping one. The only reason it works because you're going to get every one, you're going to launch every one you can get off on the first volley because you're not going to get another. Because first you need yeah. to overwhelm their yeah, it's defense system first at yeah. that point. Yeah, and because they've already played the card, they played the card they should never play, and it's it's what keeps the whole thing at bay yeah. is that no one strikes, and so the that's all it takes is one person, yeah, one yeah. person to strike, and that's why the Bay of Pigs is talked about so much because that's the closest that we've really ever came. And there are quotes from all kinds of different uh, people that were present during the Bay of Pigs and the Cuban Missile Crisis problems in the administration who said they put the chances of a nuclear strike Somewhere between an all-out war between Russia and the U.S. and the Soviet Union at the time, 
they put the chances as they were sitting in those war rooms in America. Somewhere between 1 in 10 and 50%. Really? And some of them, I don't remember who said what, so I apologize for that. But some of them said a third to to one. One third to one to one. Like somewhere that high. And some scaled back and said one in 10 to 50% chance that we're going to nuclear war. But that's been the closest we've gotten. Mankind is more likely to bring about its own mass extinction. Oh, for sure. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. The natural causes? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> the, the final chapter, I think, in, in man's role in the end of the human race, I guess, would be climate change. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's, it's debated, I think, between a lot of people whether or not it's a world-ending process or whether it's just a cyclical process or like how much are we affecting it? But I think it's no doubt that, I mean, we are altering our environment in some way. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Know. I mean, there, there's so much proof for it. We're talking about like, we've seen the sea levels rise, I think like eight inches in the past hundred years, something like that. And then the, how many parts per million carbon dioxide is up to like 400 parts per million compared to, I think it was 60. I'll redo that with other. I think it was about 60 years ago. It was down at like, or no, it was more than that. It was like 1920. It was before the industrial revolution. I'm pretty sure. Anyway, it was down at like 200, maybe less parts per million. Carbon dioxide, air to, you know. Mm. Like, there's tons of proof for it. We just, it's in such a long scale that we don't see Mm. it, really. Yeah, I've seen a lot about where it's headed. And I think that's where the disagreement comes in. It's, it's. Earth is a bit of a chaotic system. And so predicting that chaotic system and understanding all the sources and all its ways at mitigating some of the effects that humans have had and amplifying some of the effects that humans have had, I think really plays into the way the models are set up. You know, it's, it's hard to, that's why they make so many different models, right? They, yeah, right. they yeah. design all of these different models with different algorithms to sort of play out the way the system will work. That, I think, in the past has always been my hang-up. Like, trying to predict a chaotic system is, in itself, uh, unpredictable. an extreme yeah. undertaking. Yeah, yeah. And, and nearly unpredictable. And all it can produce is probabilities, you know. And so it's been tough for me in the past to sort of join any kind of debate one side or the other, because I feel like anything could be well, kind of thing. not anything could be, but I feel like we're, it would be one thing if I was just, if it was just this, if it was just me speaking on like a podcast or just chatting with somebody on the back porch, like, and so we're basing probabilities and we're making models and, and, but what we're doing is we're taking those probabilities and then we're basing 
uh, trillion dollar economies on them. Right. And we're saying we need to we need to alter all of these industries or companies or individuals, you know, and, and there is policy that is wrapped up in all of it. And I don't think that it's a small uh, price, but I mm-hmm. also I don't disregard the human interaction. You know, I don't think that I mean, with the environment, I don't think that I mean, do you think it's smart to move away from fossil fuels anyway, since they're consumable? Yeah, I, I don't know. The reason I say that is because... Because one way or the other, it's going to happen eventually. Right. I, it is a finite resource, yeah. right? We know that there's not... We're not producing... The Earth doesn't produce fossil fuels at a rate anywhere close to yeah. what we consume. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. And so we definitely will, at some point, consume all of it. We don't know how much of the fossil fuels are left. It doesn't mean we should find out. <laughs> Because if you come, you know, if your fossil fuel economy comes to a grinding halt, that's a problem. But oh, you also have to understand the energy needs of the economy that you have. You can't just transition to an all-electric. Uh, the current power grids in the United States couldn't handle. Oh, I agree. Couldn't handle cities full of electric yeah. cars. Mm-hmm. You know, there was a um, a new company started called Edison, and they concentrate on trucking. They're sort of the um, electrical trucking Tesla of trucking and they're in Canada and they they realized that all of the trucks just in like British Columbia, British Columbia can't charge them like just trucks. Right. We're not even talking about like we're not even talking about people driving cars, just semi trucks. So if you convert all of the semi trucks in British Columbia British Columbia could handle like 5,000 maybe. Oh. Like with their power grid because of the wattage that it takes to charge. And so like if you convert uh, that, you know, if you just say, well, now 300 million people in the United States all have to drive electric cars, that is going to, that power grid can't handle that. And so there are smaller problems. Well, not smaller problems, but there are problems with every transition you know i guess you're gonna have to upgrade your power grid but like you have to saturate the market to the point where that pressure is put on the utility i wanted to say something about power plants and climate change yeah and i'm i don't know if you guys may have more to say on climate change as well but one thing i wanted to mention was i think that as humans we you know, there's this fear over nuclear, but I, I really think it's a solution that nuclear, so many people are afraid of. I'm, I'm it's crazy safe. It's yeah. crazy, yeah. crazy safe. Yeah. And they're get, it's getting even safer. Like, have you heard about these, the liquid salt reactors? Yes. The, it's just, I haven't. And they're nu- they're nuclear, in prototype right now. Nuclear but, energy has come so far but, since, like... Every problem people have you, to get over this fear, though. Yeah, every problem that you've ever seen with nuclear power has been, you know, 60, 70 years ago, right? And due to human error, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I can't speak about all the, but I want to say right the now. one in the one in New York, uh, Three Mile Island was in the 70s, maybe, mm. but I mean, still, it's it, it wasn't even like a full on, like it, it melted down, but it, it didn't. Yeah, yeah, it, it didn't cause a. It's no Chernobyl. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Chernobyl. Yeah, basically. That's right. Yeah, 
And I, I think that that, I mean, Chernobyl ruined it for everybody. We appreciate that. Russia. I mean, because <laughs> it was like on the rise and yeah. the whole country probably would have been nuclear by now. Uh, honestly, to be fair, there there was a ton of risk yeah. with nuclear at the time. It's, yeah. So it was a very real fear. And it just has propagated through the generations mm-hmm. since then. And, and and pop culture. Absolutely. And movies yeah, it didn't help and any. everything it's else. It's true. But I mean, all of these, it's also there if you know there should be a separation between nuclear power and nuclear weapons. Weapons. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. But I mean the technology is the technology. But yeah. I mean there there's definitely a difference, but I'm just saying they were both come about. Because of because the, yeah, of our yes. understanding of, yeah. of nuclear reactions, but I think that if, if we go forward, we have to realize how unproductive. I'm not saying we need to abandon them completely. I'm saying that selective markets can use them, but like solar and wind power are not scalable for every environment, mm-hmm. and we have to realize that, right? You can't put solar or, or wind power in the constantly raining Northwest, like it's. You have to have I was gonna either say, coal. Especially just not right now. They're, they don't have the technology to. Like it costs too much for it to have any real benefit mm-hmm. currently. The more you develop. It's like nuclear technology. The more you develop it. The better it is. The more power you get out of yeah. it. So on and so forth. But like currently. But it poses. It, nuclear does pose a problem. Because the inherent cost. The initial cost is tough for oh, developing yeah. nations. So mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. that we need to give free passes for, I don't think we should be requiring, you know, developing African countries to not build coal power plants. I think that we should let them get themselves out. We had the benefit of going through using the resources that were available to us mm-hmm. to reach the level where we could afford nuclear energy. We haven't put those kind of boundaries on people. Have we, is that a thing? There is, when when these countries come to the table, the pressure for them to be green is still big. Right. And I think that that's an unfair pressure. I mean, this is a little bit sidetracked to our topic here, but I just, I I feel like it's it's not a, a real, I don't think that the danger, the danger is long term. Yeah. And I don't think that we're going to be able to solve problems by forcing those people to sacrifice their the ability for them to economically pull themselves out. Right. You know what I mean? Right. They can't just skip the industrial age. No, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I see. Man, we live in a weird world. <laughs> <laughs> right. <clears throat> so real quick, talking on... Uh, it's a bit off topic, but as far as other existential risks, we've talked about natural stuff, and this kind of fits in it. It's a good segue. Is it? Is it? It's not. Awesome. Na- I mean, it's yeah. It's like natural-ish. Oh, it's natural, but not of the world. So, like existential risks, as far as asteroids and com- well, comets, not so much, but asteroids. I'd call it natural. Yeah, it's like it is natural, but. <laughs> It may be not I mean, terrestrial, but right? If, yeah. if it's yeah. a 
70 kilometer long asteroid. It don't feel that natural. <laughs> that feels very. I think if it's outside the bounds of a human cause, that is considered natural. No, yeah, I yeah. agree. Like I, fair, though, the yeah. sun is a natural thing. Yeah. It just feels something else. <laughs> but as far as existential, and we, we've all discussed this before off mic. I, we might've, I don't think we've discussed it on mic. Asteroids. I think we discussed it once and it got cut. Because okay. mm. remember, we were talking about the size of the... Pardon. Oh, that was around the same time as the Chinese birth rate or whatever? Something like that, yeah. Or population density? Anyway. And we've all talked about this before, but it was like last October, there was an asteroid like... Was it a few football fields wide? Oh, are you talking about the one that flew closer than the moon? Yeah, yeah. Was that that recent? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was. I don't Maybe know. I got the time mixed up in my head. I saw it as a factoid in a video, so we could be talking about different asteroids. But I mean, an asteroid. Okay, flying that is close. it? Did is we it, see this one coming or no? No, um, this we, one. We, yeah, we knew like two days before, maybe less. Okay, not. We're not talking about the same okay. one. So there are you're saying five times closer than the moon. Yeah. Was it in between the earth and the moon? No, I don't believe so. The one I'm talking about was literally okay. in between the earth okay. and the moon. Okay. Shoot. I don't think I've heard uh, this. We didn't know about it until about two days after. After? Maybe. maybe no it, it was past us. We didn't see it because the sun was in the way. Yeah. And it flew past us and we saw the reflection. And we were like, what was that? That does not bode well. <laughs> well, it doesn't. Well, mi- and that's the risk we've talked about. Yes. Right. The risk is we can see everything that the sun is shining on. We cannot see <laughs> towards the sun. Yeah. Yeah. We think the dark side of the moon is creepy. <laughs> dark side of the, the universe. Yeah. Yeah. The The blind spot <laughs> behind the sun's pretty bad. But yeah, I mean, if we get an earth shattering asteroid that comes from the sun, the <clears> area of around the sun or is deflected into us by sun's gravity. You just can't see it. Well, there's no preparing and there's no, let's just go ahead and get that out on the table. Now we don't stand a chance. (laughs) We track a ton of astronomical objects and all of the ones that could pose a threat. Theoretically, most of the ones we're talking about like 99.9% of the ones that pose a threat to earth as a, like it, it just hits it mm-hmm. that would extinct us. Like just we track a switch and we're gone. We, we know where they are. Yes. Yeah. And we know where we know pretty much where they're going. Yes. And the some pro- of them are some, some of them are fairly chaotic to track, but we do track them. But like we said, the ones coming from the other directions that we don't know where they are. Yeah. The problem lies in the ones that you, come outside of our solar system that don't have an orbit. Yeah. You had mentioned just then, I forgot exactly what you said. Near Earth. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for that reminder. <laughs> uh. <laughs> NEOs, near Earth objects. Uh. Yeah. But, you know, some of them have can, can have chaotic orbits. I had read about, well, it was a video I saw. There's a classification of 
Well, I reckon they're considered asteroids, but they're called dendroids, I think. I haven't heard that name. They're identified by their, I think, like elliptical and unpredictable orbits. Oh, because of the way their mass is distributed? I guess so. I don't know all the details on them. But on average, they're like 17 kilometers long. So they're usually pretty big and usually pretty flat shaped, if I'm correct as well. But we find them way harder to track than like asteroids and stuff. So those seem like a lot bigger of a risk to me than normal asteroids. But all in all, I mean, we we as human beings are doing what we can with the tools that we have to take care of what we know. And there isn't so much we can do. I mean, I guess maybe scientists one day will come up with some way to track the ones we can't see or the ones that are coming from somewhere else, maybe someday. But like, that's not really not right now. It's not, we're just going to have to be okay with not knowing, you know, and the chances are minimal. So yeah, you'll know before you hear about it. Oh, not very long, but no, like, yeah, yeah. It, it'll be a little bit, but you'll know it's coming. Not very risky, but flood basalt event. Have you heard of those? Wait, what? Nope. I know nothing about this. Run it by us. Really? I can't even predict what you're about to say. I, I didn't look into this one. <laughs> so, so. Didn't you know as much as we do? Or I know explain. it's, I, I, I'll try to start at the beginning. It comes from volcanoes for one. It's not caused by any one eruption, but by a series of smaller ones, if I'm correct. And, you know, instead of hot magma spewing everywhere and being an issue or, you know, the ash clouds, it produces this like slow as molasses liquid basalt basalt. yeah that just you know molten basalt i have never heard of it but it just sort of creeps out all over the planet yeah or well from whatever or is this a local thing from whatever volcano it spews from it's just i i can't remember if there has been any flood basalt events or if it's just like a theorized thing oh okay it's not one i that really piques my interest yeah but i saw it brought up so that brings up volcanoes we taught we you know, I, yeah, there isn't a ton to touch upon because most everybody has heard of super volcanoes and yeah, you know what yeah. they're capable of. We all know there's one under Yosemite. Yeah, like, mm-hmm. you so know, it's like right in the backyard. Yeah, it's like if you know what they can do, like, I mean, we're on the opposite side of the U.S. and we're kind of in the, yeah. the danger zone. Yeah. So and it also would create a global issue. Oh, yeah. We're in the danger zone of damage. But, like, the whole world is in the danger zone of, yeah. of like, ca- catastrophic crop failure. Yeah. And, yeah. Like, we're talking about, Blackout. like, ash clouds on us. Yeah. But the rest of the world is, like, we still got storms to take care of. We still yeah. got, like, there's, yeah. If, it's, if a super volcano goes wrong, that is definitely an existential risk. <laughs> like, But also not one we can, I mean, we can't manage no. the Earth's mantle. There's just no... Uh, it's just something that we're in the grips of Mother Nature with. So we tackled, um, uh, I mean, there's not much we can so do about much. super volcanoes. Yeah. And there's not much uh, anymore we can do about, you know, asteroids or anything. So, I, I mean, obviously, 
we sort of shared our opinions on um, on what we know, you know, and what we found out. So, I mean, before I went into this, I knew most of the stuff yeah. because this had been a topic that we were really yeah. Thankfully, yeah, this is something that we were of. comfortable with yes. already. Yes. Mm-hmm. But there is tons of material out there that you can get your hands on all over the place. If it's whether it's infographics, there's tons of books, there's tons of oh, articles. Yeah. I mean, you you can, I'm sure that you guys as listeners, you probably have heard or seen something already, you know, some kind of show on television or whatever about the end of, of all humans. Yeah. It's, it's a pretty, we have a morbid yeah. curiosity about it yeah. as a race. Yeah. I mean, but if you haven't already, please check out End of the World. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. For sure. It's so good. And we didn't even get into all of the. I mean, there's just. We didn't. He goes very deep. We an, didn't even talk about the Great Filter or the nope, Fermi Paradox. Nope. There's so many. We'll, we'll touch those on other ones, I'm <clears throat> yeah. sure. It's. Uh, this is a topic that we we like to kick around a oh, lot. Yeah. So we'll probably end up back on one of these topics. And I. I, I think it's interesting that we had this as a topic because we could have broken each one of these down and just done each one of these right. as a yeah, topic. Yeah, they're very expensive on their own. Because we just like hit the highlights as we went along. That's all we could do. And still talk about pretty much everything. Yeah, there's a lot of ground to cover. So I was surprised. Like I, I'm, I'm familiar with existential threats. But I was still surprised by the amount that oh, there are. I guess I shouldn't be, though. It's like... That's true. We're at the mercy of the yeah, universe. You're, you're <laughs> like, what innumerable amount of things could kill us? You know, like, obviously, you're, it's an open-ended question. That's and very you're true. Saying, yeah, that's very true. You know, what are all the threats to us? <laughs> and then you have to examine them no matter how minuscule because this is the probabilities that you're going yeah. through, you mm-hmm. know? It's like... And then you throw us into the mix. Man. Yeah. And uh, the most chaotic I, of the I our do chances think, of winning drastic go down. <laughs> I, I think I agree, Sean, was it you earlier that said that we pose probably our greatest yeah. risk to ourselves. Easily. And I think that we definitely overpower Mother Nature's probabilities of killing us as a whole. We're pretty well evolved to the point where we can deal with what mother nature throws at us. I mean, obviously there's yeah. a probability something yeah. big can happen and there's what, not much we can do about it. But one of the largest differences is like the man-made ones we can have control over. There ain't a whole lot you can do. Exactly. About yeah. mother nature. But it's just funny that we're responsible for our highest risk. items. Yeah. you know, Oh, <clears throat> so, uh, huh? Go ahead. I don't know where this will fit or if this will fit here, but there was one thing I meant to mention. And that's one reason to, I think, one reason to care about humanity going extinct or a mass extinction event happening on Earth. Is because humans could very well be the only intelligent life on the Earth. And Josh Clark brings this up, and this is why I bring it up, but... In the universe? Yeah, yeah, that's what I meant. The only intelligent beings in the universe. And if we're gone, I mean, it's a bleak world. 
otherwise. <laughs> I mean, right. not that we... Not that we would, we would know. Yeah, right. But I mean, right. it's a, it's but a it's very like, somber thought. We could have blown it. Yeah. Like, it was the one shot the universe had. Yeah. And in all of its... Improbability. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that, that, that we would waste... That chance. The opportunity. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> but that feeling hits me like a brick wall every time I feel, I think about it. Yeah. Man, I love that podcast so yeah. much. <laughs> yeah. So, if you don't have another Candor Encounter episode to listen to, go right now and search End of the World with Josh, with Clark. Josh Clark. That's... That's it. Yeah. He basically, there's basically an episode for every subject we talk yeah. about in the video or in and this more. podcast. Oh, yeah. He, and more. He yeah. dives into that stuff. And he's so good at it, too. Yeah. But I think we did cover our bases pretty well. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I don't know what you guys think about this new format. I like it. I, uh, it felt so much more streamlined. It was a little different. In the fact that this is um, not topical, but I would say like it's it's uh, more less opinion directed based. and yeah. less opinion based. We'll really get a feel for that probably in the next episode. Which, by the way, we'll go ahead and announce. Yeah, we have. Uh, we'll go ahead and let you know what's coming. And next episode is. What are the proper limits to free speech? And that was my question. Today's question was, was Sean's, Sean's question, yeah. and mine is next week. So when we get back together, we're going to be talking about what the limits and the proper limits of free speech are. So we hope you come back for that. Another thing we should note is that there – so we used to release a episode a week. Mm -hmm. We will now be releasing on a two-week schedule to give us uh, – more time to research and better delve into the topics. Yeah. We felt like we were rushing ourselves a little bit. We weren't able to go in very deep. We weren't able to spend as much time processing, editing, and also doing the other things we were cramming it, everything into our life. That's, you know, cramming it all together. And, uh, we still want to be, you know, friends and parents and everything else. So we're pushing it out into a two week pattern. If you didn't know already and hadn't listened to our previous season, Go to our Facebook page and see our topics. There should be some information attached to them that you can see the research we did and what we saw and where we pulled from. And guys, I know we did our own submitted topic today, but we still are looking forward greatly to any submissions you'll have for us. So if you have anything you want us to talk about, go to candorencounter.com slash submit, put it in there and... We'll talk about it soon. So that's about it, guys. If you could go and leave us a review, whatever podcast app you're listening to, if it's Apple Podcast or if it's on our website or whatever, if you are on our website, you can go to the top. There's a Podchaser link there. Wherever you feel led to, just let us know how we're doing. Give us any tips. Tell us if you like us or not or whatever. And uh, we're really glad that you came today. We're really glad that we're back and we're just – so grateful that we have people that are willing to listen 
sometimes we just are amazed that that anybody tunes into this <laughs> true because i mean we, we're just three dudes you know but we're really grateful that you're here yeah to all you listeners out there today i'm so happy that you're there like it means the world to us that you tune in and you listen to us and we hope you give us a chance in season two i i really hope that we can show you how we can condense all this together properly and entertain you guys and just stay in touch so if you will come back for the next episode see what we got and remember we love you as a human being so until next time take it easy happy to be back for season two and we're happy to be back for season two season <laughs> oh there's always yeah. i didn't even realize we're happy to be happy for season two